You're listening to episode 86 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Noah Rubin. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everyone, welcome to another fantastic episode of the Tennis Files podcast. My name is Mirban Iranshad and I bring you weekly interviews and podcast episodes to help you improve your tennis game and reach the next level. And today I have a great interview with Noah Rubin, who is an ATP pro. He's right at 152 right now in the world and he's an incredible player. And I really enjoyed speaking with Noah about his career and also about his new initiative called Behind the Racket, which which is just simply a fantastic project. You know, I really enjoy when players express their creativity, whether it's Stefano Sitsipas with his vlogging or Clay Thompson, who I had on the podcast a few episodes ago, actually several <laughs> ago, but, you know, talking about his creativity and I think it was writing uh, scripts and things like that. And so it's really cool to have Noah on to talk about his tennis and, and about advice that can help you really improve your game, but also uh, showing a more than that and and how he is helping show more of the personality side of tennis, which is what we really need these days, especially if we want to expand the game into different types of crowds, you know, in the world and subsets of, of the country and all that. So I really do appreciate Noah taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, shout out to you, Noah. And uh, with that, I will uh, speed us on to the interview. So without further ado, here is my interview with Noah Rubin. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. I'm really excited to have ATP pro Noah Rubin on the Tennis Files podcast to talk about his career as well as his newest project, Behind the Racket. Noah is obviously an incredible tennis player, and uh, I want to give you a little bit of a background on you know exactly uh, what he's accomplished in the tennis world. Currently, Noah is ranked 152 in singles and 290 in the world in doubles. Uh, Noah is 23, 23 years old from Long Island, New York. He's won four challenger titles. He's also a former junior Wimbledon champion, which is incredible, uh, an incredible accomplishment. Noah also won both the singles and doubles titles at the 2014 USTA 18 National Championships, which which earned uh, Noah a wild card into the US Open at the ripe old age of 18, which is actually when I first noticed uh, Noah on the scene and uh, noticed his powerful game. And uh, Noah also played a year for Wake Forest and made the finals of the 2015 NCAA Singles Championship. He's the first ACC player in history to be named both ACC player and freshman of the year in his freshman season, which is also an incredible accomplishment. And Noah also previously trained at the John McEnroe Tennis Academy alongside Tennis Files podcast favorite Jamie Loeb, who I interviewed on episode 66 of the podcast. And also, it looks like like last Tuesday, at least from the date of this recording, uh, was your birthday. So happy belated birthday, uh, Noah. Was that Tuesday or Thursday? Thank you. Thursday. Thursday. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. My, my math's no, not that no great. No problem. Um, but it's yeah. 23 doesn't really matter anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Once, once you reach 18, it doesn't matter until you 
hit 40, then yeah. you start getting sad. Uh, no disrespect to you guys <laughs> who are 40. Um, but anyway, Noah, I, I really appreciate you coming on. i uh, really excited to talk to you. It's also always particularly fascinating to talk to uh, ATP and WTA pros. First thing uh, that I found interesting about you, Noah, is that I read that you're a huge photography and arts buff. Uh, so could you tell us where that passion comes from and uh, also how involved uh, are you currently in photography and art while playing on the tour? Extremely involved. Yeah, I mean, my parents took me to museums every weekend since I was one years old. I mean, some of my best memories are, you know, from the Met or MoMA, and I, it's just been a huge part of my life. And then traveling and, and just loving the places that I was going to and, and wanting to capture them, that's when I got into photography. And I'm still, you know, extremely prevalent with my photography, and it's, it's a large part of what I do. Um, you know, I have a new initiative, which you kind of spoke about, and that's kind of taking up more time. But it's also incorporating my love of photography. So it's been something that, you know, basically my focus, you ask anybody like, oh, Noah's going to an art gallery or Noah's at the art fair. That's like the ongoing joke. But that's me. You know, that, that's always my love. That's what I enjoy doing, you know, when I'm not on the court or playing other sports or with family. So that, yeah, that's kind of my life. Yeah, I think that's so cool, Noah. And it's really fantastic that you have, you know, a creative outlet that you, you know, I guess express and, uh, and, and pursue outside of tennis to uh, keep you, I guess, relaxed and also engage your mind in different ways, at least. And, uh, you know, speaking of that, I saw a video of you, I think, from the Ilkley Challenger Tournament, um, which was a nice feature of, of uh, your photography. And I guess there were some really cool, uh, I guess, mountains maybe in the background and you were taking pictures. Uh, so what is your uh, current camera and lens of choice these days? So I used to be with uh, Canon um, Nikon D750 and I wanted to move for the Nikon D850. I think it's D800 or D850. I'm blanking on that one right now. That's like the net up that's a little more professional after keying in my skills a little bit more but you know before then and then lenses is the difference you know um and it's tough you have to really choose which lens you think you're going to use because i travel so much i can't carry all this stuff that's kind of the biggest problem and that's almost when i went to like almost gopro for like video and stuff like that but always came back to my can uh, to my nikon i'm sorry and and taking the pictures and just loving that i mean god i there's just such a, a passion for, for capturing moments that i've been a part of and I always remember and then I look back at them and, and you know, go through them. And, it, and it's fun, you know, I was just actually talking to my girlfriend and she sent me a picture of me taking a picture. And then I, so I had the final outcome. It was of this type of power in this very unusual um, location. And then she took the video of me taking it. And it's just like fun like that. And everybody in my family is kind of involved in it. And it's always been great. That's that's fantastic. No. And how have your family uh, been involved? I mean, has your, your mom or dad been in the creative arts professionally? Oh, God. Professionally, no. I mean, my mom is a teacher and she's always she's very creative um, very artistic and she's always really enjoyed that my dad is kind of a photographer he's, you know they when they were together they travel a lot and they both travel on their own now um, my dad is called current girlfriend they travel all over and it's really extensive and he loves taking pictures of people's faces and he has loved photography now and he wants to open up a gallery and has all these ideas so it's, uh, it's really exciting it's kind of a family thing and they, they love my photography they love blowing up some of the pictures that I've taken and it's, it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. No, I'm definitely going to go on your uh, Insta account and check out your photos after this interview. And yeah, I've actually been watching a lot of uh, photography based YouTubers because uh, I'm trying to figure out like the right camera for, well, mainly for video for me, but there's people like uh, Potato Jet and uh, Peter McKinnon uh, and those types of people who have some great, great channels there. Um, so that's fantastic stuff. And Noah, I mean, how do you assess your season so far? I mean, it looks like you've had some pretty solid challenger results and you just had a, a tough uh, three-setter against the top 60. 
player, you know, uh, in New York. So uh, how, how do you assess this year so far for you? Yeah, you know, it's, it's been okay. I think I'm growing. I think there's a lot of changes that I'm making to my game, change my racket, but just my mentality and how I want to, you know, approach the game is, is changing. Yes, I had a good couple of results early in the year and, and, you know, I had a tough one in the past couple of weeks because I've been out a little bit with my shoulder and working on that and pulling out a few tournaments. So I'm just trying to get back into it a little more now, but I'm excited. I'm excited to see where the year goes. I feel like I'm in great shape. Um, I feel like I'm ready to play. I'm in, I'm in a good headspace and I'm, I'm excited to see how it all plays out. Wonderful. And we're definitely excited for you and we'll be looking forward to your great results and, you know, coming ahead in this year. And curious too, um, you mentioned, Noah, that you're, you just changed your racket. So, I mean, there's, we have a lot of gearheads, uh, you know, that follow the podcast and, and so forth. So I was curious, you know, what racket you changed to? Yeah, I'm using a Prestige. Obviously, it's a, it's a little customized and everything, but using a Prestige and uh, it's been really helpful for my game. I'm excited to see how it all plays out and goes. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going well. Sweet. Awesome, Noah. So before we get into uh, some more questions about your career, I just want to ask you a fun question for the audience, at least. I don't know if it's <laughs> necessarily fun for the interviewee, but what are three things that most of the world doesn't know about Noah Rubin? Ooh, that's a tough question. Three things that they don't know about Noah Rubin. Um, God, God, I'm pretty, I think that's one of the things that, you know, it's going to be a boring answer for you, but that, that's kind of one of the things that I pride myself on. I'm an open book, you know, in interviews, I think this is kind of goes into the bigger theme and I know you don't want to be too serious about it, but I'm, I'm an open book. I, I share my opinion. I share what I do, what I love. I'm not afraid of ridicule, how people feel about it. And I, and I, and I try to be as genuine and authentic as possible. And I think, you know, it's played a lot into some of the initiatives that I've, I have ongoing. So, um, God, there's really not much. I mean, um, maybe I play a little Fortnite a little too often on my phone than I need to. But besides that, I'm, I'm an open book. People know what I do. People know what I enjoy doing. And that's kind of it. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I think for a lot of people, they probably didn't know that you're into photography and art. And uh, you mentioned your open book. So that's three right there. Well, good stuff, Noah. So I just want to start off at least with the, well, for most of the career questions with asking you, you know, what was your first memory of hitting a tennis ball? You know, there's this picture of me and my parents hung a ball on the ceiling from a rubber band and I hit it and I was in diapers. I have the picture. I can send it to you. I'm about a year and a half. So I can almost say that's one of my first memories, but I don't really remember it. I just see the photos so often that it almost has been ingrained and I can put pieces together in my head. Um, you know, I have different memories of waking up with my dad early in the morning to play at the local park or, or play at this local organization in, in Freeport, Long Island. And, you know, I have a lot of different memories like that from you know, about four or five years old. And, you know, it's been just a tremendous part of my life. That's wonderful stuff. No. And what is it particularly about tennis? And uh, if you can remember, at least around, you know, that young age that really drew you to the game and, and kept you in it and kept you passionate about tennis? It was, uh, it was probably two things. I mean, I think that it was probably my love for just running around the court. I think just chasing that ball gave me this immense excitement. And I know it sounds funny, but you can see in my game today, I just love running. I love running around the court. I, I find so much pride in it. And, and, I, and I think that's kept me just enjoying every moment. And, you know, beyond that, I love the ind individual aspect. I love the pressure on myself. I love, you know, when I'm playing my best 
tennis and I'm in a good, you know, headspace for that year. Uh, that's when I'm playing my best tennis at six all and a third or in those tie breaks. And those are the memories that will last forever. And that competitiveness that I have and that drive that I can't get anywhere else is, is really, is really a thrill for me. Yeah, it's great stuff. And I'm, I'm sure obviously that's why you've been able to be so successful at the highest levels and, you know, being at the top of the junior charts and NCAA charts because you're, you, it sounds like you, uh, you really do enjoy the pressure. And, and so that's wonderful. As far as your mentors and coaches, I was curious if there were maybe a couple that you could name uh, that helped accelerate your uh, tennis career the most. From an early age, I mean, there's really only two people. Um, you know, it was my father who taught me how to play the sport and really coached me throughout my whole junior career. And then a man who worked at Sport Time, where that's where the clubs I grew up playing in for 12 years. From seven years old when my dad needed knew I needed another coach by my side, he brought me in and I met with this guy named Lawrence Klager. And, you know, both of them combined really helped transform my game and got me to a point where I am today and, you know, had a very uh, lucrative career, junior career, which I was, you know, always excited about. And, and now at a point where, you know, competing to get top 100 and then have those opportunities. So those are the two that I really, you know, owe a lot to in my tennis game. That's awesome, Noah. And I'm sure they taught you, uh, clearly taught you a ton of things about the game. Um, but, you know, is there one ski- uh, skill or maybe one value or something you can remember they said to you that uh, really stuck out or sticks out in your mind that, that obviously that helped you a lot? Yeah, I think between the two of them, the thing that was, you know, that was very tough from a very early age, you know, you're talking to a seven-year-old here, was don't throw your racket, don't get upset. And yes, there has been times, you know, especially in my professional career that I have steered away from this and, it, and it's been disappointing. I've been very regretful in those cases, but for the most part and how I want to, you know, hold myself to a standard comes from them. It's the idea that if you put 100% in it, you control the things you can control and, you know, you hold yourself to that standard, you have nothing to be upset about. You know, the loss is the loss. So, you know, from a very early age, it was don't balance your racket, you know, don't show the negative emotion. And I'm talking to a seven-year-old here. <laughs> and I think that was a lot, I was seeing a lot of differences in that coaching style and, you know, a lot of others at the time, especially in my age. So um, it, it kind of guided me through my tennis career. And I have to remind myself, you know, through very tough obstacles that I, you know, what to do. But, you know, this is this is how I hold myself and this is how I hope people see me as a tennis player. Excellent, Noah. And I think there's maybe at least a few people out there who might say, well, you know, it's it's just natural to get angry and, and throw your racket and that, that'll relax you or something like that. But, you know, what is it about controlling your emotions on the court that will help you play better tennis? There's very few people that can monitor their aggression into something positive, like a John McEnroe or Jimmy Connors and where a got them fired off. Um, yeah, there's times where you have to really pump yourself up, but for the most part, it's more about, you know, once you get upset and you're missing the focus and idea of what takes place um, during the next point or what happened during that point or what's going to happen during the next point. And, and you're really, you know, you're losing track and, there's, and tennis is such a mental sport and you have to be so observant that you can't miss those little things. And when anger comes into play, that's when you do. And I think you really have to channel it and you have to channel it into positivity and you have to figure out ways to, you know, move past it and then think positive. And it's not easy. It really isn't. But that's what makes the best the best. <laughs> awesome. Really appreciate that uh, advice. And I'm sure the audience will too. So obviously, uh, no, you've had so much success in your career. But you know, at what age did you first kind of realize that you had what it took to sustain a career at the pro level? Yeah, I mean, it started out pretty young. I was about 12 years old when I played my first international tournament. Um, it was called Coupe LeBlanc. And I won singles and doubles. It was Canada, basically the world championship. And then following year um, was La Petite Os, where I finally 
old. That was the world championships to that age. So there was, you know, there was little things around my career that, that was telling me I am one, if not the best player in the world for my age. And, you know, there's a lot of players that I was competing against, but I was consistently top five. And that's just, you know, something that I was fortunate enough to be very early on. So I didn't really have to make a choice. I just, you know, I had to keep fighting and I had to keep putting it out there. But I definitely had some very early on success. So. Awesome. And it's clear, uh, and as you mentioned, you know, you were consistently at the top there. And what do you think kind of distinguished you from the rest of the pack? You know, what what was it about your game? And I know everybody's has different types of uh, gaming uh, game styles, but what do you think distinguished your uh, ability to uh, to stay at the top like that versus other players who couldn't maintain that level of success? Yeah, I think it was a testament to two things. I think, you know, kind of what we were talking about before, which was my mental game and uh, how I held myself and, and just, you know, how I went about things. But I think also I went against the tide. You know, I stayed home. I, you know, yes, there were times where I, I traveled to Florida to train, but I was home. I was doing what I love to do while putting in immense work and immense effort to get better. But I was home with my friends, non-tennis friends and my family, and I was around the people I trusted. And I think that's a huge testament to going against the grain and, and something that people thought was so out of the question to be in New York and play in all those months, you know, it, it obviously hasn't affected me too much. Yeah, no, that's super impressive. And uh, that, that's a great lesson to learn that you ultimately have to do what is best for you and what will make you happy and not necessarily to just follow the green. So uh, I love that. So as far as your, your your tennis game, I was wondering if there may be uh, one or two specific changes that you made in your game, you know, was this whether strategic or technical or anything like that, that you made that ended up having huge impact in your success? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of two things. You know, the one is pretty generic. It's just really bettering every aspect of it and, you know, making sure that my hot, my lowest level isn't that low, you know, that my lowest level forehand is not that bad. And when I'm having a bad day or a bad point or when pressure comes, I'm going to play pretty well. So it, it's just making sure everything's a little more consistent at the top level. And then beyond that, it's really using my speed for offense, you know, really making sure that I'm not just running down balls and I'm using it to actually take time away from my opponents. Those are really the two things that put me where I needed to be. Gotcha. That's awesome. And as far as, you know, being a, a professional, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned while on the tour so far? And I'm still learning it to this day that there's more to tennis and that I'm always going to have the opportunities to break through, like not to rush it. And I think that's like a, a big problem with a lot of players is that, you know, we all have this idea that we deserve to be top 300 or top 200, 150, and you want to rush it to get there. And, and if it doesn't come right away, you're so distraught and it's going to ruin the year. And it's tough. I've had a lot of tough setbacks that, you know, have told me, you know, maybe it's going to be much tougher than these things. But you always have the opportunity, whether it's within a match or a tournament or a year, you're going to have opportunities to break through. You're going to have good tournaments. Just stick with it. Control what you can control and, you know, be professional and then it will all come. It really does. Yeah, very, very true. No, and I actually do want to ask you a bit about uh, some of your setbacks and, and injuries later on. But I guess to bring it back to, you mentioned uh, that one of your big improvements was making sure that your base level, uh, you know, was was pretty high and, and consistent. So, I mean, how do you how do you train that? Like, are, are we talking about where you're, you know, you're, even if you're having a tough day like you're still playing the percentages and things like that is that what kind of what you mean it's more about it, it stems from practice everything really stems from practice and it's just taking care of each every and every ball and having that diligence every ball and and making sure you're, you're prepared to hit every ball and you know it stems throughout all of tennis and it's really just this professionalism all around and it will lead to better tennis 
It really does. For sure, uh, Noah. And also want to bring it back just a tad, I guess, because you're still pretty young. But yeah, how difficult of a decision was it for you to turn pro after playing a year at Wake Forest uh, and, and you know, having so much success? Because I'm sure you probably did think uh, for a bit about maybe staying and continuing and uh, and winning more in, in college. But uh, yeah, again, how, how difficult of a, of a decision was that to turn pro? Definitely not an easy one. But I kind of had the idea throughout, you know, my junior career that I was going to go to school. And, you know, regardless of the junior career, it was just too great of a opportunity. You know, I had, I went for one year, I can get four extra years on top of that for free. It's just it's a tough thing to pass up. And, um, you know, it's just something that, you know, always needed, you know, I always needed this extra year to kind of push into the pros. And I think I got that from school, you know? Yeah, I probably could have gone straight out of school to pros and maybe it would have been better. You never know, but that doesn't mean I don't credit, you know, regardless of, you know, winning Kalamazoo and winning Junior Wimbledon. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Sweet. And, and uh, when you went to college, did you, um, I, I don't know if, you know, it was this one year, so did you declare a major? Or I was curious about if there was like a particular area of study that you planned on uh, pursuing, you know, at least at the outset. There was not, sadly. Uh, people have been it before, but, you know, early in, I kind of figured that I was going to play for one year. You know, I was enjoying it, but I really had this urge to go out and play. And that, that's, uh, that was kind of the idea. So there wasn't really any, I was just taking kind of generic courses. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. So as far as, uh, you know, you mentioned that you have had some setbacks and, uh, you know, I'm sure we've all we've all had setbacks. And the important thing is you know, how to bounce back from them. And so I wanted to ask you, Noah, you know, what's been your most difficult uh, period on the tour so far? And then how were you able to turn things around? Yeah, I mean, I've had very, very difficult ones from the injuries. You know, I've, I was out five months in 2016, six months in 2017. Yeah, so 18 last year was my first year on tour fully. Um, very tough to, you know, to lose your ranking, to lose your confidence. And I have fairly good starts to the year. So to have those, you know, halted by injuries is not an easy thing. And yeah, I mean, to really come back and not have the same confidence and not hit the ball the same, it's a tough thing. And I've, I've dealt with a lot of, you know, mental issues and not trusting my game. But uh, yeah, I finally have some momentum and I'm trying to use, you know, my health as a positive and, and we'll see where it goes from here. For sure. And uh, I don't know if you want to mention those injuries, but I was just wondering, like, you know, if you want to, what, what? they were yeah i just you know one was a twisted ankle and the other one i fell on my wrist during a point and yeah both really tough ones that lasted longer than expected but something that i had to deal with and and as far as the recovery period because uh, as you mentioned you know it's uh and as we all know it's you know staring into the face of several months long recovery period is not the easiest thing in the world so what advice would you have for somebody else who's going to go through something like that on how to you know stay the path and uh and recover as quickly as possible. Yeah, I mean, it gives you more time to really focus on some other important things, such as fitness, if you can do it in certain areas, and making sure that your your tennis life is under order and you have you know everything on court organized, you have your rackets organized, and everything that you want. So when you get out to play, that you're you're hitting the ground running and you're ready to go. That's that's the best I can give. 
Got you know. Um, it's great tips there. And so I want to clearly talk about uh, Behind the Racket, which is a really cool uh, new project. I've I've been on the uh, Instagram page for it and, and read the profiles and it. it's uh, definitely a really cool insight into into uh, players and uh, their their lives beyond tennis. So I wanted to ask you, Noah, first off, uh, what inspired you to create uh, and start your new project Behind the Racket? Yeah, I, I think I've always had, you know, one of my, besides winning a slam and a gold medal, always had this dream to change the sport of tennis and change sport. And, and I think I'm just trying to bring more awareness. And to change tennis, you really have to have the powerhouse that is the United States to get behind it, which they are not at the moment. And, you know, you have to bring this, this human interest aspect back to tennis and have people really enjoy and follow it. So I was kind of just, you know, one day stumbling upon a favorite account of mine, which is Humans of New York. And, and this is, you know, while one of my best friends was talking to me about how he's so sick of listening to interviews about forehands and backhands. And, and so combining all of that and all of this in my head, it kind of clicked one night after I came back from Australia. And then within a day, I had my little mocked up, you know, logo with the idea. And, you know, I had mine already um, posted within like two days. So it was uh, definitely exciting and kind of hitting the ground. I didn't know how it was going to go, but it's been extremely receptive by people. And yeah, it's, it's great. Awesome. No, yeah. And I think that's a great point because I think the uh, clearly the tennis in the U.S. just needs more personalities. I mean, you talked about how you're not afraid to give your opinions. And I think it's these types of players that we just really need in the game. And another thing I've, I've always thought of, and, you know, maybe you could corroborate. I mean, you guys probably answer the same freaking questions like a million times a year. And, you know, I think it's just nice to if if the press could try to, I mean, ask maybe more unique questions questions or creative questions and kind of bring out more of players' personalities, which, you know, so some people are, at, you know, ATP Tour. It's not easy to do. I mean, people these days are very guarded in PC. And I think why my platform does so well is because I'm just a tennis player. I'm like everybody else. So I have no ulterior motive. I'm a tennis player first. I'm literally just giving these players a platform. Um, you know, they're sharing their story if they want to, and, that, and that's all. So I'm just going up to them and saying, do you want to share a story? And a lot of them do. And I think and I think it's very organic that way. You know, I'm not media by trade. I'm not press by trade. So it's, I'm a tennis player and they trust me and they know that it, it's simply just a platform. Yeah, that's a great point. It's very important to have these sorts of connections and bonds to to create something like this that's, uh, that's so personal. And with Behind the Racket, uh, what platforms is it going? Going to be on, or uh, also like maybe I don't know if you plan to expand it on other platforms. But what platforms do you plan it to be on? Yeah, I mean right now it's just uh, the trio of Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Yeah, I mean that's kind of how I'm going to keep it. I might make a website that's in the future, but I have other plans um, before then. I, I really don't know if a, a website's necessary unless I really want to expand on the story, which is possible. But um, you know, I have, I have ideas of galleries and coffee table books and stuff like that, and and really bringing more attention to it. I think, you know, just having Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter is enough to get the word out. I mean, you're hitting millions of people, you know, if you have the right following. And uh, I think hopefully we'll get there one day. I mean, it's growing faster than expected, and I'm, I'm excited about it. Yeah, that's fantastic, uh, Noah. And yeah, who knows, you know, maybe you know, at one point, I know you're so busy, but you could create a, a, you or your team, a YouTube channel and have a video-type platform. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, no, people have definitely spoken about it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm cautious. I mean, that is, I pick my platform for a reason. I pick the way I do it for a reason. You know, once you get a clamor in front of somebody's face become very guarded. Um, they don't answer the questions the same. And I think that's where I found a lot of the problems lying. And 
And that's why I came up with the way I do it because they feel like they're just having a conversation with me. They get the final okay, and that's it. And it's it's pretty it's a it's a safe space of sorts. So. Right. And you did touch a bit upon this, you know, when I asked you about the inspiration, but what is your ultimate goal with Behind the Racket? What do you want it to accomplish? Yeah, it's just two simple things. It's one is bringing more awareness and attention back to tennis, not only in the U.S., but the world. And then the second one is breaking the stigma of mental health, allowing players to share the stories. And, and yeah, we all compete with each other, but at the same time, we're all here for each other on the same road. So talk to one another, talk to people in your family, open up, say, yeah, this is a problem. I am pretty depressed right now or whatever the case may be, and, and really open up because I think that's the only way we're going to evolve. And I think, you know, there's this, you know, thing that I have to show a tough face and, and I have to put up this front as an athlete, especially. And I think that has to be broken down. I think people can show their feelings and then they can break through once they finally, you know, open up in a safe space. And I think that's what I'm giving people. Yeah, I think that's spot on, Noah. Uh, you see in the online world, you know, the, the influencers who I think have the most impact, they're continually showing people people, you know, their their human side and everything that's going on. They're not just sharing their wins all the time. You know, they're sharing uh, their setbacks and everything else that goes on. So uh, definitely on, tra- on track there. And you you said in your uh, Behind the Racket feature on, uh, you know, on yourself that your most daunting fear is disappointing uh, your family members and friends who sacrifice for your success. And I was wondering if you could just kind of talk more about that fear. And, and also, you know, from my perspective, I think that your f- family and friends are, are already super proud about your achievements. But yeah, I just wanted you to, to talk about uh, a bit about that fear. You know, I didn't go into it as much as other players and I'll probably make another one soon, which I've been asked, you know, by Tennis Channel and stuff, they want to feature more. But yeah, I mean, I, I meant it, you know, and I didn't write that to have my family and friend text me after and saying, we love you, we support, and which I wish they did because they're very kind. But, um, you know, I, it is, I mean, you know, a, I mean, I don't, I can't put a number or a figure on how much time, money and energy they spent on me. And it, it's insane and it's immense. And I don't know the sacri- all the sacrifices they've made and it's sad. And that's why I feel like I, I I'm carrying other people on my back because it's not, yes, it's me just playing out there, but there's so much that goes into it. And there's so many people that have played a role in my development, big or small. And it, it affects me, you know, when I don't act a certain way or even don't have the result I want. It's like, God, you know, people work so hard and that's what I give them. So yeah, it is something that I work with and, and I'll be fine with. And I have gotten better at because I know that they wouldn't trade it for the world and they love being a part of it. But at the same time, you know, it's always something that's going to be in the back of my head. And then I think it's kind of motivating in a way. So that's kind of, you have to let it motivate you and you have to know that people are there because they love it. That's that's all you can really say. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's 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 amazing to have such great support, and and I know they're definitely all proud of you. And but you know, you hear about um, even like billionaires who they're unhappy because there's like people who have you know more billions than they do. So I was wondering, you know, is there like a certain uh, target that you you know a number in the world or something like that that you that you think you need to achieve before you think that you've accomplished what you need to to the uh, point that you wouldn't be disappointing anybody or anything? No, I think there, you know, I, you know, if I'm top 20 in the world, yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to be pretty happy. Am I going to be content? No. I mean, it's who I am. There's always going to be a next level for me, always a pushing. You know, sometimes I have to put it in perspective. I mean, right now being 150, I'm, I'm very, very disappointed in myself. And that's almost sad to say. And I, I don't deserve to put that kind of pressure on myself. And, and I know I deserve to be top 100 and so on. But this is where I am right now. And 150 in the world is a pretty incredible accomplishment. 
And but I know there's room to keep improving and keep advancing. And, and I know where I deserve to be. And I'm going to keep putting the effort in. And you know, I'm fairly ish young, and then I have some more time on tour. So I'll see what I could do. Yeah, I think you'll you'll do great things. And even if you just improve one percent a day, you'll you'll get there for sure. And uh, just wondering about the time. Uh, you know, how much time it's this project is is uh, you know taken from you. Like as far as do you have a team or do you plan to have a team to kind of manage this? And uh, how do you find time? to uh, to uh, do this uh, head this project yeah I, I don't have a team and you know I, I have my girlfriend and best friend in a group called the editing team and you know they, they help me out and, and you know read the paragraphs and blah, blah blah and tell me what they think and what needs to be taken out or whatever and that's great and that's great to have and I need that and I have my sister who's in the social media world and she helps me out with some ideas but you know if you want to keep it organic you kind of have to do yourself and I think it's not that overwhelming and I think you know a lot of players a lot of people don't understand how much time players have free you know even if you're really putting in a great solid amount of effort you know you, you have five hours a day to do nothing and you have four hours a day nothing and it's just what do you do with that time do you watch that play? do you do this and this is what I'm choosing to do with at least half that time I mean per person with the recording and editing and posting and transcribing it, it can take it's probably about an hour and a half hour 45 total so it takes a little bit of time but I really enjoy it and I wouldn't trade it. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you have, again, you know, these outlets to uh, to pursue. And as far as uh, Behind the Racket, I, I've noticed a lot of great people on there, Nicole Gibbs, Chris Eubanks, uh, Dustin Brown, uh, Jamie Loeb, and, and yourself, and et cetera. Uh, what kinds of players or people are you looking to feature? Like, is it going to be, is it supposed to be uh, pros or is it also amateurs as well? Yeah, so, I mean, the page is for pros and I want to get from every spectrum, from doubles to singles to extremely successful to try to make it and tried out and it's been fairly successful. I posted my post, uh, first post the other day. So the last Friday of every month, I'm going to post from somebody in the tennis world who's not a professional and it's going to be, and it's called hashtag my BTR. And they post it on their own story or through direct message. And then I feature one, I pick one at the end of the month. And it's just a way for people in the tennis world that aren't professionals to really get involved and be a part of it. And I thought it was a way for them to embrace the page a little more as well. And it's been very successful. And I think people have taken a liking to seeing kind of the amateur slash recreational side or parent side or blah 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 whatever it is and there's a lot coming out of it and it's great to see people getting involved Awesome, no, and we'll definitely post all the links on the show notes page uh, of you know for this podcast as well. And you know, I, I really enjoyed reading these features. I mean, you have stories about uh, having uh, you know unique racial backgrounds and you know concerns for family members and uh, you know issues with depression, and so it's super interesting. What's one of your favorite features, Noah, out of all the ones that you've done so far? Tough to say. I don't have a favorite really, really old and really enjoy getting to know them. I mean, I, for the most part, I know almost every pro on tour, um, you know, whether well or I just said hi a few times. I know I know them enough, so to know them on a deeper level has been truly remarkable. Uh, you know, to have Tennis Sanger, you know, talking about his father passing and to see the emotion in his eyes. And, you know, and for him to say thank you, I've never shared that story before, is truly remarkable. And I've enjoyed every second, and, you know, I'm using my responsibility of, you know, trying to get the story out there. And it's been, it's been great. Awesome, Noah. And changing gears a little bit um, before we, we go back to it is you mentioned in a, a recent article that you have a thousand coffee book, uh, coffee table books, which that's a lot of that. That's the number. But what are one or two of your favorite ones? Favorite coffee table books. Yeah. Just curious. Yeah. I have one called The Human Canvas by one of my favorite photographers, 
called uh, named Art Wolf, and it was a it's a mix of art and photography, and it's beautiful. It's a huge black one, and then I have another um, wildlife photographer named David Yarrow, and great great books, truly well made, and you know I have some other fun ones like Keith Haring, but the best ones that I've enjoyed are my photography ones. They've you know they weigh like forty five pounds or so. Nice, Noah. And uh, as far as your social channels for BTR, I just wanted to inform the audience of of those. So could you let us know like where we could go to check out BTR and also the, I guess, the uh, the handles for those accounts? Yeah, I mean, for Instagram, it's at Behind the Racket, simple enough, and Racket's filled with a CQ. And then, of course, and then uh, Facebook is Behind the Racket as well. And then Twitter is Behind T Racket. So I couldn't fit the whole word. I had a T in there instead of the whole um, Yeah. Those are those are the channels right now. Uh, Twitter's really good one if you can read the full page. It does give you a link to Instagram, so you can read it there. Um, but for, for everything else, yeah, you can just read the story, and you, the pictures, and you just you can click on the picture, or it'll say it in the caption, and that's it, and you'll find out who it's about. Awesome, Noah. Appreciate it. And before I let you go, just a uh, couple more questions here. Uh, if you could write anything that you wanted on a huge billboard and hang that billboard in a highly trafficked area for everybody to see, what message would you write on it? Tough question. Interesting, though. Probably right. Everyone has a story. I think just that quote alone allows people to be far more open than they are at the moment. I think, you know, whether, whether the religion, race, gender, whatever it is, regardless of that, we all have a story and we can relate it all at, at some level. And I think that would take a lot of hate out of the world if we could just be a part of that. I mean, God, there's so much hatred for little to no reason when, you know, the person you're hating loves tennis just as much as you do or loves photography. Just, and there's ways to just understand that and know and and just be open. And I think, you know, everyone has a story. It's a great way to start that and just having that in the back of your head. Love that, Noah. And you mentioned the uh, BTR accounts, but where can we follow you online or on social media? Yeah, me is uh, NoRuben33 across the board. I think Facebook page would just be NoRuben, but on Twitter and Instagram, which are the two I use the most, Instagram the most, uh, NoRuben33, 33 my lucky number. So. Sweet. Awesome, Noah. And last question for you to, to cap this one off. What is one key tip that you can give our audience to help them improve their tennis games? One key tip is forever try. You know, if you love the sport and you're really diligent and you're ready to get to where you need to be, try every day. I promise you, you're going to have the opportunities and breakthroughs. Yes, they take time and sometimes way more time than you want them to take, but you'll have the opportunities. So, you know, be patient, be open and just, you know, just be ready and willing when the time comes. Awesome stuff, Noah. Well, I want to highly encourage everybody to check out Behind the Racket. Very cool project. You're going to really enjoy hearing and reading the stories of these different athletes, including Noah, of course. And Noah, I wish you the best of luck this year, and we'll definitely be following you and uh, rooting for you. And I really do appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today on the podcast. So thanks so much, Noah. Thank you for having me. All right, I really hope you enjoyed my interview with ATP Pro Noah Rubin. Noah, we obviously wish you all the best and we're rooting for you to do uh, huge things in 2019 and beyond. We really appreciate you coming on to the podcast today. And I always really enjoy interviewing the top pros, especially. I mean, obviously, we've had some amazing coaches on here, incredible players, but it's really cool to get the insights into the careers and other really interesting factoids, I guess, if you will, of these players. 
years. Yeah, so I, I really do appreciate it, Noah. And I'd also would really appreciate it too if you all would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast uh, so that you can instantly get all the newest episodes or weekly episodes downloaded straight to your smartphone or computer or tablet or whatever you use to listen to the show. And so you won't miss any new episodes. And you can do that by going to the podcast app of your choice that you use to listen to the podcast and just clicking the subscribe button. And for example, if you're on iTunes, you can actually just go to tennisfiles.com slash iTunes and then click that subscribe button. So that would be awesome. I would really appreciate that. And I'd also like to leave you with a quote as I pretty much do after every single episode, lately at least. And this one is by an unknown individual. If someone knows who said this, then you can let me know, I guess. This quote is excellent. It says, To be upset over what you don't have is to waste what you do have. And that's a fantastic quote. I mean, you hear about people who are millionaires, billionaires, and they're still not happy because they are looking at a person who's making twice that they are. But you really have to step back and be grateful for what you have. And what I do actually every morning is I write down three things that I'm grateful for. And that just keeps you grounded and keeps you, you know, understanding that you are in a much better position than many other people who are, you know, facing a lot of hardship every single day or they're in a war zone or something like that. And that especially comes in handy when you are in tough times or, you know, setbacks, you know, that, that everyone experiences. And that helps you bounce back and just realize, hey, you know what? I'm still alive. I still have a lot of opportunities and I'm going to go and seize them. And, you know, for instance, with your tennis game, maybe you're, you had a tough match, but hey, you know, you're, you're still in good shape. You can still find ways to improve. And that's the beauty about life, I I think there's always ways to improve and get better. And I think if we keep that uh, 1% improvement attitude every single day, then we are going to do huge, great, wonderful things for not only ourselves, but also the world. So let's uh, keep that positivity up. I hope you enjoyed that little uh, inspirational rant that I just had. I just kind of came out of nowhere, but uh, I liked it and I hope you did too. All right. Well, thank you so much for all your support and continued messages and emails and positive posts and sharing of the podcast and my other content and I'm going to keep doing my best to consistently bring you uh, really helpful content that you can consume and put into action. And I'm working hard on Tennis Summit 2019, so you'll gradually hear more details about that. Yeah, thanks again, and we will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit tennisfiles.com.